0: Traveling internationally soon? Trying to change the world at your company? Trying to get your team members to be safer with their mobile devices? All important things and all covered here. Welcome to another episode of the Security Management Highlights Podcast from ASIS International. Every month we focus on the trends and topics the world needs to know about your world of keeping information and people safe. I'm your host, Brendan Howard, and today we talk about the dangers of international travel, securities work in ESG, that's Environment, Social Responsibility and Governance, and uh, you've got a call on your smartphone. It's time to think long and hard about how good your company is at making mobile device security best practices front of mind for your team. And special thanks to Amarok for sponsoring this episode. Their Senior VP of Sales and Marketing, Michael Dorrington, will show up later to talk environmentally friendly security solutions. So let's get started. Dave Benson, Senior Advisor for Threat Mitigation and Global Operations at the Center for Personal Protection and Safety, is quoted in an upcoming article in Security Management on best practices for when you or the person you're responsible for travels overseas. There have been some high profile incidents of detentions, including basketball star Brittany Griner, who was held in Russia on drug possession charges, and reporter Evan Gershkovich held in, you guessed it, Russia again, on charges of spying. So from the beginning, how do different detentions differ? Could we talk maybe just at the very beginning, someone gets held in a foreign country. What are the differences for security professionals to keep in mind between somebody being arrested, somebody being kidnapped, and somebody being wrongfully detained?
1: First of all, everybody needs to understand in the audience that this happens far more frequently than we see on CNN and uh, Fox News. Government detentions, either for being accused of crimes, inappropriate behavior, taking photographs of alleged military installations, uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, going through customs and immigration and being detained, going into secondary is technically a detention. And so the difference to me between being arrested uh, and being detained is they have declared that they're going to prosecute you. And so that's the kind of the next logical step. But if you're stopped by customs and immigration and you feel like you're in a uh, difficult situation, uh, you're being detained. So it could be a police officer stopping you. uh, It can be a government official. It can be a traffic cop. It can be any one of a number of things when you're traveling. uh, And basically at that particular time, you are not free to go.
0: Is there a significant difference in parsing that situation? You've been detained. Is there a significant difference for security folks in how they're going to respond to that situation? You are being held now. How do the differences happen, whether you've been arrested, kidnapped, or detained in any way? How does the response differ significantly?
1: Well, uh, initially, uh, it's time. Um, If someone holds you for 15, 20 minutes, or even an hour or two, and then they release you, Uh, you're technically out of detention. Uh, If they're holding you for an extended period of time, uh, you're not free to go. They're going through your belongings, which by the way, as soon as you leave the United States, you can count on uh, other countries, uh, officials going through your belongings. Uh, You are not free to go. And you're being questioned in such a way that you feel like uh, there's an accusatory tone to this, That's one thing. The second thing is if they actually acknowledge that you're being placed in custody and placed under arrest for an alleged violation. Uh, That's kind of the next step with that. Uh, And so we always talk about the nuances of that, understanding who you are, why you're in the country, what is the logical explanation, giving them the normal kind of bio data that any traveler is required to give and when and if that crosses the line into an actual interrogation.
0: How much in preparing for the possibility of this happening is this on the uh, corporate security um, expert with the company who looks at these things and the individual business traveler themselves?
1: It's a great question, and the answer is they both share responsibility. First and foremost, the enterprise, uh, the corporate security official, uh, enterprise uh individuals uh, they need to have a program in place for their travelers a uh, travel risk management program if you will Uh, is there a briefing program uh, before they travel what are some of the do's and don'ts when they travel do they have individuals from the enterprise or that company uh, in the location that they're traveling that they can report to is there a mechanism to report back if there's a problem or routine check-ins. And then one that that is really forgotten a lot, and that is a debriefing program. Once somebody comes back, even if it doesn't appear to us as security professionals that it wasn't a problem for the traveler, ask the question. Have a series of questions. You would be amazed that once they're asked and they think back on it, that there were some incidents that were of concern and they wouldn't normally think that they should report it. So that's the enterprise responsibility. It's incumbent upon the individual traveler, whether you're traveling for business or personal, that you research your destination, number one, because some, some places in the world you are more likely or more prone to be detained for various and different things than in other parts of the world. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, register with the U.S. State Department, the STEP program. Uh, now, your company can do that for you, or if you're traveling with a group, Uh, that's fine. It's very user-friendly, but somebody needs to register you when you're traveling, where you're going, how you're traveling, how long you're going to be in that area or the region. There's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, even if you're not illegally detained or unlawfully detained, it could be a natural disaster. Uh, You could have a medical emergency. Uh, There could be travel considerations uh, and delays that you didn't anticipate So that somehow you have a mechanism to let people know that there's a problem. Because every day we have thousands of American citizens that don't register. And then when they have a problem and they go abroad, they're lost in the pipeline for a period of time. Because we, my former job as a U.S. State Department diplomatic security agent, if I was assigned as one of the regional security officers, if I don't know you're in the queue and you're traveling, it's really hard for us to kind of uh, assist you.
0: Can I ask about that? I'm wondering, um, in the article, they talked a little bit about the fact that after the Britney Griner incident, where she was arrested for drug possession in Russia and then held for a long period of time and eventually released, the State Department went ahead and set up this new designation D for wrongful detention. So that's a big change that people would need to pay attention to. Security officials are probably looking at State Department information about countries regularly, especially if they have international business travelers. How often is it people are not up on how a situation has changed in a country and people are traveling there and just haven't checked? Or how often is it people are going to a country so often that even though it's designated as, you know, we should worry about it? I feel comfortable and I have to travel there all the time. It's not a big deal. So how often does it get kind of laziness? And how often is it you just didn't see the notice? It's an equal
1: problem, I will tell you. And some of the worst uh, cases that I've personally had to work or been aware of are seasoned travelers that know everything. And they, they know what to look for. They're not gullible. It's for those newbie travelers. But the fact of the matter is, depending on where you go in the world, the more sophisticated a traveler you are, if they are intent, if in fact uh, they're looking to do harm or unlawfully detain you, they have ways of being able to do that. Uh, one of the things I tell our clients is you don't have to do anything wrong to be un- unlawfully detained by a foreign government. Sometimes you do. Uh, sometimes we have people that bring their hurts, hang-ups, and addictions, as I call it, across the border. And when that happens, the laws are seldom the same, and you're going to get yourself into a jam. But other times you might be in the middle of a situation where let's say we have the situation between russia and ukraine or north korea where there's political tensions and you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time and a perfect pawn for their overall scheme and detaining you as part of the overall process in that
0: you mentioned that we saw that in the article too that hurts hang-ups and addictions and Is there an issue with people in their own countries? They do have these things that they use to cope. So whatever these things are, behavior or drugs or things they like to do that happen to be either the government doesn't like it, the people don't like it, or it's illegal someplace else. They know they shouldn't do it. Is it typical? They already know they're not really supposed to bring this. They already know when they get there, they're not really supposed to do this. But they just it's just so hard for them to stop, or they often haven't even thought about it. Well,
1: I mean, I think it's both. But let's talk about that. Uh, They haven't even thought about it. They don't know what they don't know. And so that's why being an informed traveler when we talk about that uh, is really important. Research your destination. Know of a certain part of the world that you're going to. They discriminate against certain types of individuals. That is not the time to claim your constitutional rights and say, I'm allowed to be here because you're not in Kansas anymore, to coin a phrase. And so you need to recognize that. So there is a certain amount of traveler arrogance.
0: Takeaways. uh, Add a debrief for international travelers. Uh, Make sure your travelers know who to call or email if something bad happens. And always make sure everybody tells the State Department what's going on, especially if someone is traveling to a country with past problems. Now, Let's switch gears with the next couple of folks to talk not security, but bigger global issues. Let's start with Mike Dorrington, Senior VP of Sales and Marketing for Amarok, a company on a journey to become the ultimate provider of perimeter security solutions. Dorrington explains how Amarok's security as a subscription model works, and even more interestingly, how concern for the environment is baked into their product line.
2: It's our belief and our, the feedback from customers that you know, security has evolved so much and so quickly that instead of having to put people on the hook for spending a lot of money and then being obsolete the next day after they put the solution in, our solution is designed to allow them to continue to evolve as security needs evolve. And it also allows them to budget on a much easier basis To make sure they're getting the best security from the best provider and a service network that is you know full of security professionals that really are experts not in just in fencing but in security protocols overall
0: and so a number or maybe all of your products are solar powered and i'm wondering is that a big selling point for customers for sustainability
2: yeah so as you're seeing so many organizations really care more and more about sustainability and making sure that they are good citizens, and our, our solutions actually, the fabric of our DNA has always been in solar power. And so sometimes we'll even tell people that we're a solar power company that actually does you know, specialize in security. You know, we probably put out more uh, solar energy to utilize in our services than any security provider and many other businesses in the US. We do that because it, it provides the best security, right? Because it's always on and we're never vulnerable to the power source being tampered with. But it's also a great benefit that, that our customers can always be secure, but that they always have the, uh, the greater good a- in mind.
0: And where can listeners go to find out more about Amarok and all these products, solar
2: powered or not? The first thing I would say is you can go to Amrock.com but specifically for this, you can go to go.amrock.com forward slash security management for a free risk assessment and and really learn more about the vast amount of products and services that we offer that protect businesses and keep criminals off our customers' property.
0: Fun fact, Amarok is not a made up word. It is a wolf from folk legend that would eat Inuit hunters foolish enough to hunt game at night. So get the connection to fence security. Know who else cares about the environment and other big picture problems like social issues and corporate governance? Tom Stutler, JD, CPP, who is VP of National Security Options for the global real estate company Cadillac Fairview. So where does E, environment, S, social responsibility, G, corporate governance, ESG, touch the arena of corporate security professionals the most? Well, says Tom, it depends who owns your company and what your company does.
3: When you look across the landscape and you look at all the companies, the first clarification I want to make is that the the people being held most accountable are publicly owned companies that are on the open markets because a lot of what's driving the ESG initiatives is going to be where they get their money from. And of course, the top three companies out there Vanguard, State Street and uh, BlackRock are the ones driving the requirement that companies have an ESG strategy and that it have a material effect on the business. And so with that said, you know, companies not subject to that are probably, you know, voluntarily trying to improve their ESG literacy and their ESG involvement but they're not being held to the same standard as publicly held companies. So with that said, when you look down over an organization, I'm also going to clarify it depends on what space you're in. Because if you're in the oil business, for instance, your footprint and your need for certain, you know, again, I want to divide the ESG letters because in the beginning of the journey, ES and G worked together because they were all sort of way low on the spectrum and they were all trying to get attention. But as we get into the modern world, E, S, and G are now three different entities. And, and in some ways, they contradict each other. So with that said, I would say some of the drivers are some benefit by focusing on E. If you're in a particular business that produces things that have those carbon footprints or you're dealing with vendors or third parties that are also you know, sort of not where they should be, then your opportunity is in the E. If you are way behind on the S, you know your diversity and inclusion is not where it should be. Um, that's where you know you're going to have your opportunity. And of course, the G is a tough one. It's not something that corporate security folks generally are involved in. The G is probably that forty thousand foot executive level, board level uh, type direction. But what I always uh, suggest is don't do anything to mess it up. In other words, be aware of what it is so that you're not out here signing an agreement with somebody through procurement. Might be a million dollar contract to do contract security and it turns out that contract security vendor is just a walking ESG violation and it's gonna bring harm to your brand. So that's where the G, but the E and the S, I think, are really the opportunities for the security folks.
0: So people who came up through the years where ESG was lumped together and low on the corporate emphasis, low in the list of hierarchies that things are worried about, and it's grown and grown and grown. Is there ever anything about the traditional mindset of a security professional who's been around a long time that might make it harder to get on board with elements of the E, the S, or the G? Definitely.
3: I'm going to start with the concept that there's this term out there called woke capital okay in other words are there real real legitimate cases in the short term where investing in these things have returned on investment and and the reason i say that is because if you are a security professional and you're already struggling to get funding for the different things that you need in your department, whether those are additional human resources or those are additional technology resources, you wanna do your analysis upfront on whether or not you want to, to add ESG. And I'm gonna give you a great example, Brendan. Right after 9-11, all you needed to do is include the word terrorism in your request and the board just approved it. You know, if you made it, if you made yourself out to be the number two target, you got all the funding that you wanted. And my point is, is that I would caution people of of jumping in because you don't know where the people above you sit on whether they think it's true ROI or woke capital in the short term. I think it's proven that in the long term, we all win. But in the short term, where you're a publicly held company and you're being measured every 90 days on financial success is making capital investment in this area strong enough. So that's I would just caution people to do that, and 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 here's my point: is that security professionals are not always the best at the business side, at the executive level business side. So I would just enter this area softly, uh, do the due diligence, understand in your organization who owns ESG, maybe try to bridge a communication with them to understand what is important to them, and how can you either stay out of the way or how can you contribute. I do think security departments uh, a really opportunity is that S. All, I mean that's just a natural for us to be a leader in the social responsibility area. I think the E is the second one. If you're in a company that has a really way to measure environmental impact, I think that you can be a part of that journey and not so much in the G nowadays.
0: And is social the biggest out of those three, the biggest opportunity because security has its own staff and its own communication and it can model that and easily follow those policies of a company.
3: It's definitely the biggest opportunity for security, but it's not the most important one of the three in my opinion. If we're gonna save the world, if you wanna buy into the idea that we need to keep the temperature at about the same level or try to reduce it by one degree or or prevent it from gaining one degree, one, one degree, Um, it's the environment. At the end of the day, whether you wanna buy into climate warming, cold, whatever, um, I just think there should be a collective, there should be a collective effort to focus on E. So you should always be trying as a department to see where you can fit in. You know, we are in the the, uh, real estate business. We have a huge footprint. We have millions and millions and millions of square feet. So that has all the HVAC, that has all the water, it has all kinds of stuff. So we, and because life safety falls under me, I have direct opportunity with the E um, because we can help drive, especially through COVID, where we learn more about air quality and water quality than ever before. And we were all submersed in that. So I see opportunity in the E, but not every company has that, right? If you're if you're in others other spaces.
0: Tom's advice is also don't go out on a limb without checking in on your company's values. How much is your company willing to spend current profits on future growth and global health and ethical values? That will guide your security department. Now, let's talk phones and laptops and tablets. Matt Edmondson, a principal instructor at the SANS SANS Institute, which specializes in various forms of security training, says we all get a little lax with our devices. So here are some tips for mobile device security, but more so how to make the training relevant, and keep your company's folks tech safe and secure when they're at their home offices or outside the office. Okay, Matt, I've got a friend who doesn't take his smartphone when he walks around the neighborhood because he doesn't wanna be tracked. Is this crazy? How worried do we need to be about this stuff?
4: Amongst my circle of friends, I am the least paranoid person I know. And I try not to do dumb stuff. I try not to make it easy for an adversary, but I assume that if someone wants to get me, I'm gonna get got. And so where I would lie on that is, Is it absolutely ridiculous? No, I get it. But you also got to live your life, right? At the end of the day, we're human beings. And so really, that's kind of where I, uh, that's where I would kind of lie on that.
0: Okay, that's fascinating because you're the security person. You wrote this article about mobile device security awareness. Um, we are encouraged in the society in general to walk around with our smartphones all the time and have location sharing on. We're encouraged by all the apps and all the stores and all our encounters and then encouraged to connect to Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi. Please use our free Wi-Fi. Use our free Wi-Fi. So the whole world is encouraging us to location share and use Wi-Fi. So what's the problem either for personal or company devices? Where are the biggest threats in that scenario we're all wandering around this world or we're connecting our device to everything
4: <laughs> uh quite a few number one i mean just use common sense right the other night after a baseball game when i was in baltimore i had to walk back through not the nicest part of the city to get to my hotel and normally when i'm walking around like when i walked to the game during the game i had my airpods in. i was listening to music guess what at nighttime walking back the airpods were not in Right, you're almost like heads on a swivel. You're looking around. You're trying to maintain situational awareness because, frankly, just a little more dangerous. Right? No disrespect to Charm City, but I mean, there's some <laughs> not nice parts, you know, through there. And so it's it's basically just common sense, right? I I'm walking around right now in, in New York, and. My phone is just kind of like it normal is. My Wi-Fi is on. My Bluetooth is on is everything. In a couple of weeks when I'm in Las Vegas for hacker conferences, DEF CON and Black Hat, I don't go so full tinfoil hat that I'm like, oh, I got to bring a brand new device that I paid for in cash at a Target. <laughs> and I was wearing a fake mustache and a trench coat, right? Like, come on, man. But that said, my Wi-Fi, my Bluetooth, they'll be off, right? They'll be off. It's just a little bit more of a Target-rich environment. You know, the same thing when I used to leave the country for work. Right. If I have to go on there, right, you just take some little steps to harden it. So it's just it's common sense about where you connect to, right? And I try to avoid Wi Fi, right? I try to have a Wi Fi with me. I try to use my own things. I really try hard not to connect to other people's Wi Fi if possible. But like I said, uh, occasionally at some point, you got to live your life.
0: What are some of the current best practices that you're encouraging security folks, especially in corporate security and companies, when we're thinking about awareness campaigns, what should they think about when they're developing awareness campaigns? And what are there certain things today you think you should focus your campaigns on this best practice? I know that's kind of two questions bundled. Oh, no, no,
4: no. It's a good thought. It's, I think my all-time favorite quote, and I don't say that lightly, is one of Einstein's, and he said, if I can't explain something simply, I don't understand it well enough. And as an instructor, God, does that put a lot of pressure on you. It really does, but it's, as you're sitting there designing things for people, try to keep it simple, try to keep it educational, but try to like entertain. Basically, don't fight human nature, lean into it, right? If you tell people, listen, fishing is bad, we've had these incidents, The very stake of our company is on the line here. Please do not click on this. People are gonna forget about that 10 seconds later. (laughs) But for the love of all things holy, if you gamify it, if you have like a monthly fishing test where you send out like a monthly fish and it's pretty good and anyone who reports it through the proper channels gets entered into a raffle for a stupid $20 Starbucks gift card, (laughs) I'm dead serious. All of a sudden, you have people like just combing through their email with a fine-tooth comb, looking for this test every month. It sounds stupid, but it's so true. You basically just you understand how human beings work, and you don't fight it; you lead into it. So gamification, I think, is a big thing for like phishing awareness tests, certain things like that. Even dangling stupid gift cards in front of people, but like I said, just try to keep, explain things simply. And when I was with the government, and I would explain things and you know create classes for them, a lot of times I would go into technical details a little bit more than a lot of other people would my philosophy has always been let me explain what the downside is right i have a very hard time asking people not to do dumb stuff without explaining and demonstrating the downside of this is why we don't do dumb stuff and there's certain things that you can do that are just very very visceral right and just kind of like demonstrate that fact and once again not trying to be sensationalist not trying to be anything like that but you feed into it i remember one time i was uh testing something pointed at a security problem and then they said okay we fixed it test it again no you didn't they just put cup of paint on it okay we fixed it did it again after like four rounds of this i'm like listen this is a game of whack-a-mole that I'm getting very, very tired of playing. And so the last time, basically, I tunneled in, and then the head of a little organization, I pulled out from my Active Directory, I pulled out the pin to his BlackBerry phone that was in like one of the comments that one of the administrators had left in there. And I took that screenshot. It was done. Like that night, it was done. Like, okay, we're th- this is done. We're going a different direction. We're chunking it. That was just so visceral right? And so demonstrating a lot of times like, oh, hey, you click on this or kind of telling them a story uh, about things going wrong, right? I think most people agree that work from home is something very beneficial that a lot of workers like. But all of a sudden now you have this very, very dangerous paradigm, right? Of our personal devices, be it mobile, be it laptop, personal lives mixed in with our work lives. And it's a very, very like target rich environment. LinkedIn right now is kind of like a war zone in a lot of ways. And There's a while back I was helping out with an incident response, and sometimes you're doing incident response and you're trying to figure out how someone initially got in, like what was the root cause here. In this case, it was almost like watching a car crash in slow motion, and you just couldn't do anything to stop it. And what it was is, if you think about it, there's so many people that aren't satisfied with their current job and so they're always having an eye out for something else right people should have an eye out for something else right you shouldn't close yourself off to that right but if you think about that they're looking on sites like linkedin and what devices are they using to look at that so many times their work laptops right kind of in the middle of the work day they're looking for something else and that's what happened in this case it was a large organization that got compromised and when you're trying to trace back and figure out what happened there was an employee who was looking at LinkedIn for, and they reached out, they got reached out to by a recruiter, new startup representing, I think you'd be a perfect fit, salary, equity, you know, just everything exactly. You know, are you interested? Of course, right, they're tripping them over themselves. Like, yes, I'm very interested, okay. And so they sent this person a form to fill out to give the basic information and then they can pass it on and, you know, they could start the interview process. Well, this employee, once again, doing it from their work computer, right? They download the form, open it up, no surprise, it's malware. Now you're thinking, okay, well it's a straightforward story. And the story's not done yet. I wouldn't waste your time with a story that basic. All right. <laughs> Here's where it gets just like to where you're like, oh God, please don't do this. Antivirus catches the malware, right? Their host base, EDR, God bless it, catches the malware. And you're like, okay, that, you know, that's what the FBI calls a clue, right? Maybe yeah, <laughs> maybe you don't interact with these people anymore. They actually replied and they're like, Yeah, it wouldn't let me open it. It said it was malicious the attacker replies and says really that's really weird can you send me a screenshot and you're like no no they sent a screenshot <laughs> <laughs> they actually sent a screenshot so then of course the attacker could right just make a new payload slight modification now they know exactly what they need to bypass exactly what was catching it fire it back that was the initial point of infection and like i said the story is kind of wild as you're sitting there watching it like oh my god don't tell me they oh they did they did they sent that But if you think about it, right, it's just so simple. You have people that are looking for other jobs, but they're doing it on the computers that they use, be it personal owned or be it work, that they use to access all of their work resources too. And it's just creating this very, very kind of dangerous environment.
0: So, okay, don't panic about mobile device security. Uh, Be a little smarter and make the training you share in your company more fun and actionable. And that is it for the latest episode of Security Management Highlights. Thanks to our guests, Dave Benson, Michael Dorrington, Tom Stutler, CPP, and Matt Edmondson. And thanks to Amarok for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in reading more about these topics, check out the links in the show notes. If you got excited about something here, share this with your friends inside and outside of security management because the world needs to know how vital and awesome this field is. And leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We would appreciate it. Find us at sm.asisonline.org. And hey, be safe out there.